on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we name our Terp of the Week and have another segment of, well, work in progress. Plus, we chat with Terp second baseman Nick Dunn about his season, the first time he flew in an airplane, and, of course, Mountain Dew. Finally, Justin and I break down the weekend that was in Illinois and look ahead to the Terps' final home series of the season against Northwestern. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 36th edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Thanks for joining us. Jake Eisenberg alongside Justin Galanti, and we'll start, as we have for the past few weeks now, with our Terp of the Week after the Terps went 1-2 over the weekend against Illinois, falling against the Illini out in Champaign. A bit of a disappointing series loss for the Terps, who had a chance to really control the Big Ten regular season title race and now will need a little bit of help from other teams if they want to capture their first conference crown. But before we dive into all of that, Terp of the Week goes to Will Watson, uh, who had a pretty solid weekend, five RBIs in three games, had the two home runs in Sunday's game to help give the Terps, well, a chance to win in that series finale. Right. Unfortunately, there weren't too many bright spots on the Maryland side this weekend, but Watson was certainly one of them. As you mentioned, hit the two big home runs on Sunday, got them back in the ball game, nearly completed a huge comeback against Illinois. Uh, but that swing to hit the home run to tie the game was just so impressive out to right center field in a relatively big ballpark showing off the strength and it was really Will's best weekend series in a, in a while. Yeah, it was uh, straight 400 feet to straightaway center field out at Illinois Field. Had the wind blowing out to right just a little bit, that might have helped a little bit. I think even more impressive than that home run, however, and yeah, it was a big situation to tie the game at six after Maryland had really struggled with runners on base really the entire way. Even more impressive was that first home run, which actually came one pitch after Watson hit a fly ball down the right field line that saw Jack Yalowitz crash into the fence in the bullpen. He ended up leaving the game. The next pitch, Watson hit a solo home run to left field, which, well, was going against the wind. So that, I thought, was even a little bit more impressive. But a solid week for Maryland outfielder Will Watson, and he's our Terp of the Week. Right, and I think the other person who could have made an argument in this conversation was Nick Dunn who had a very good weekend as well. Watson, as you said to me off air, doesn't hit that home run to tie the game if the Dunn doesn't hit the double in the ninth inning to keep the game going. So he had a really good weekend as well. And it's good to see Dunn rounding back into form like he did last year. It seems like he's been more locked in since moving to the cleanup spot. Well, we'll talk to Nick Dunn later on in this edition of the podcast. And one of the things that he talks about and that really backed up from a numbers standpoint, and we'll dive into this a little bit later on, but he mentioned how he's hitting a lot of balls hard this season, but they're seemingly right at guys, and they're caught for outs. And you take a look at a number like Bapit batting average on balls in play, and you take a look at the figures from this year and last year, and just his overall statistics in general. And Nick Dunn is pretty much doing the exact same thing this year as he did last year, if not a little bit better. The strikeout numbers are a little bit down even farther this year, if that was even possible. But you look at the Bapit, last year Nick Dunn hit 328 on balls he put in play had an overall average of 300. This year, Nick Dunn is hitting 293 on balls that he's put in play. His overall average, 276. And we're starting to see him round into form. Like you said, now that he's moved down in the lineup a little bit, he's really starting to find those gaps. And we saw it happen this weekend. He had two doubles and went three for 10. Right, and on the BABIP thing, I mean, in the major leagues, usually you would say things even themselves out. Things will regress back to the mean and a batting average will get back to where you expect it to. 
in college, you're not playing as many games as in the major leagues. It's about a 50-game season, so teams don't or guys don't get the number of at-bats for that to even out in terms of average. So sometimes if you're just getting unlucky like Dunn was for a large portion of the early part of the season, your batting average is going to be a little bit down, but he's raised it up into the 270s, as you mentioned. And we've said this, I think, two weeks in a row, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up around 300 come season's end. I mean, that's the Nick Dunn we've come to really kind of expect, even in just a year and a summer up in the Cape Cod League. So Dunn starting to climb up in terms of batting average and the rest of the numbers, 11 doubles on the season, led the Terps in that category last year. They're starting to come back to where they were as well. So now let's dive into our second segment of the podcast, and we're calling it still Work in Progress because we don't have a title for it yet, so throw some suggestions at us. Um, we're filtering through the ones that we've gotten so far, but still still trying to find one that we really like that really encompasses the, the fire and the punchiness of this segment. And we only have a few weeks left of this. I mean, you might be gone by the time we get a good suggestion. <laughs> you may never know how this It'll segment be up to plays you. out. It'll be up to you. I know. But that's okay. And you know what? I'll start. Okay. My my first statement, Maryland needs to sweep Northwestern this weekend to finish out Big Ten play in the regular seasons, and here's why. Maryland has three conference games left this season. They come against Northwestern, a team in the 200s in RPI, a team that is not inside the top eight in conference play. The Terps have lost back-to-back Big Ten series. It's actually the first time that Maryland has lost back-to-back weekends overall since the first two weekends of the season when they went 1-5 collectively in Clearwater and against LSU. So this could be perhaps Maryland's lowest point of the year since the beginning of the season. So the Terps need to get back on track this weekend against a team that they should sweep at home when Maryland is 18-1 and at home. The Terps, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, don't control the Big Ten Conference regular season title race anymore. Right now, Nebraska's in first place in the Big Ten Conference. They have the tiebreaker with the Terps, and if Nebraska wins out, they're hosting Michigan State, and then they go to Penn State to close out the season. The Cornhuskers have a pretty decent track to take home their first Big Ten regular season title since, well, ever. They've never won the title, beat their first conference title since 2005. So the Terps need a little bit of help, but they can help themselves by sweeping Northwestern this weekend. Right. Maryland all season has basically done what's been expected of them at home. There have been some surprising and tough weekends on the road, but when games have occurred at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium, Maryland has pretty much dominated, and that's what you hope for this weekend against Northwestern. Interestingly enough, I think this is going to be the third consecutive weekend that the Terps face a Big Ten opponent that's coming off its best weekend of the season. For Indiana, they had just taken two of three against Michigan. Illinois was coming off a series win, and now Northwestern just took two of three at Purdue, and the game they lost was 2-1 in 12 innings. So it's hard to say after one weekend that Northwestern's playing its best baseball of the year. I mean, that's an overreaction and kind of a dumb statement. But this weekend was the most impressive three games they've put together all year. So another somewhat hot team coming in to play Maryland. But, yes, I think they do need to sweep this weekend, defend their home turf, get some confidence back. And then I, even though it's out of conference, I think that that series at high point in a few weeks is going to be very important as well because at some point if this team is going to have postseason success, they need to win some games on the road. They need to get some confidence because unfortunately for them, the Big Ten tournament and NCAA regionals are not played in College Park. 
and I think any shot that Maryland did have at hosting that first round of the NCAA Regionals, it was an outside shot to begin with. But any shot that there was really kind of left the realm of possibility, even after Maryland lost to Illinois on Saturday. Once that game ended in Illinois won, Maryland's chances of hosting probably were, were moved at that point. Maryland has dropped now to 25 in the RPI. They were top 20, really needed to be top 15 and, and have a strong run at the end of the season, really kind of run the table in order to be in that hosting conversation. One last note on Northwestern. The Wildcats are currently in ninth place in the Big Ten Conference. They're 8-10 and 10 in conference play, which is the same as Michigan State. So theoretically they're tied, but the Spartans have the tiebreaker over Northwestern. This is a Wildcats team that is playing for their lives. They have not made the Big Ten tournament the past two seasons. Northwestern has a chance to be in the Big Ten tournament really right there with Michigan State, a team that faces, that goes to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on a Cornhusker team that's leading the conference and then has a home away home series with Michigan. The Spartans could easily falter down the stretch and Northwestern, a team that can really take hold of an opportunity in a series against Maryland. They also then host Rutgers at the end of the year. So the Wildcats have a shot here. This is not a team that is going to lie down in front of the Terps this weekend. I think this will be a more hard-fought series than you might expect, but the Terps do need to sweep. That'll be my statement as we start off this segment. So I never gave you my full answer. I'll say fair statement. I think that was gathered. Uh, my first statement, and I'll present this first by saying this is not my opinion. I don't actually agree with it, but I think it's worth discussing. Uh, Maryland not being the number one seed in the Big Ten would not be the worst thing in the world for the Big Ten tournament. And the explanation behind that is that the Terps have fared significantly better as an underdog this season or when they've been unranked than when they have been ranked. Well, first, before we dive into that, I want you to kind of defend why you don't believe that, even though you just said it. Right. Well, based on what we've seen in the past, Seeds kind of go out the window once the Big Ten tournament starts, especially after the first game when Friday night guys are out of the way. And basically, I think if you get into that 18, 18 tournament, anybody can win the Big Ten tournament. But you can't sit here and tell me that you don't want a regular season tournament or a regular season championship, excuse me. And then on the other hand, uh, when you look at what committees, I think Maryland's, unless they really, really falter down the stretch, Pretty locked in as a two seed for the tournament. Um, but, you know, you can get put in a better regional for you or maybe a worse matchup, things like that. And I think the committee values a regular season conference title above a four-day tournament where anything can happen. I think when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I think Maryland, I don't think the Terps are on the bubble for the tournament. I think right now you can consider them safely in. Like you said, it's a matter of whether they're a two seed whether they're a three seed, where they go, and of course, what happens in the conference tournament, because depending on what happens in the conference tournament, you could have a four-bid league, a five-bid league, a three-bid league. We really don't know, and I guess that's kind of a good segue to our next statement, which is that for you, and I'll and I'll let you defend this, you think the Big Ten is going to be a five-bid league this season. And I was the one who, who said you were overreacting, I think, three <laughs> weeks ago, and it was, you said it was a four-bid league. I think Nebraska's clearly in. I think Maryland's clearly in. And Michigan is clearly in. And at the moment, I like the way Minnesota's playing. And I also think Indiana's played its way into the NCAA tournament. I mean, take two of three from Maryland, sweep Xavier. You have midweek opportunities against Kentucky and Louisville that can only help you, won't hurt you. 
So I think those five teams, if the season ended right now, would get into the field. Here's why I disagree with that. I'm going to say that's an overreaction in, in our little game here. Here's why I disagree with that. I think the Big Ten is still a four-bid league. I think that Minnesota, that if the Big Ten wants to be a five-bid league, Minnesota needs to win the Big Ten tournament. Here's why. Nebraska's RPI, 42. They're first in the conference right now. Maryland's RPI, 24. The Terps pretty safely in the tournament as of right now. Indiana's RPI, 21. They actually have the best RPI in the Big Ten, and as you said, they have those opportunities against Kentucky and Louisville. Those will help their RPI. You take a look at a team like Michigan, RPI of 36, middle of the pack in the conference, but a team that has been pretty highly regarded from a national perspective all season long. Minnesota has been a bit of a surprise overall the entire year. Their RPI is 74. Of course, it's the top 64 teams that make the tournament. Minnesota's RPI is 74. I think unless the Golden Gophers can somehow either win the regular season title or win the conference tournament title, they're going to be on the outside looking in. Maybe one of the last four teams out, they could be right there. I just don't see Minnesota getting into the tournament right now if the season ended today. Okay, yeah, I mean... I agree with that, but we discussed last week how the teams at the top of the Big Ten, Michigan, Maryland, and Nebraska, and even Indiana to an extent in terms of in-conference because Indiana finishes the year at Ohio State, who's not having a very good year. I mean, those teams all have schedules that can be handled. No one plays each other at the top of the conference, so if those teams all went out, I think they get in. And then if you look at Minnesota, they play Long Beach State for a three-game series this weekend at home. Long Beach State at the moment is projected by most to host a regional. So those could be some really big wins for Minnesota. Then they have two uh, a doubleheader on the 16th against Rutgers, making up that series from about a month and a half ago that didn't get played. And then they have Purdue at home, who's scuffling a bit right now, but a team that's well over 500 on the season. So I think that maybe Minnesota's not in if the season ends today, but I do think there's a path for them without winning the conference tournament. So I think we can agree essentially that saying a five-bid league is a bit of an overreaction, but there is a path for a five-bid league. And yes. right now we're comfortable with definitely three, comfortable with four. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that was our last statement, and that'll do it for this week's edition of Work in Progress, because that's the name of this segment, Work in Progress. And now we'll dive into this weekend series uh, against Illinois. Just a little bit more. The Terps falling in two out of the three games. Maryland winning 9-4 to on Friday, losing 6-2 to on Saturday, and then losing in walk-off fashion 8-6 to on Sunday. And really it was a tale of, well, kind of two different games, especially Friday and Saturday. Friday, you saw Maryland jump out to an 8 nothing lead in two and a half frames, 8-3 to three after three innings. And then on Saturday, it was Illinois who scored six runs in the bottom of the third inning to take a 6 nothing lead that they were able to hold on to the rest of the way. Now, I talked about this on the broadcast this weekend in Champaign, how that six-run bottom of the third inning was really bolstered by that catcher's interference call that extended the frame, and Illinois went on to score four more times in that frame after that catcher's interference, which came on an 0-2 pitch and with two outs. So really not 100% sure how things would have shaken out had that catcher's interference not occurred. Of course, Maryland went on to score two runs later in that ballgame, so you might have been looking at a 2-2 game, and you know who really knows how that one shakes out the rest of the way. 
But the bottom line, this weekend, Maryland clearly struggled, Friday aside, with runners on base, runners in scoring position, just kind of struggled stringing hits together. Right, and it was a bit of, of a surprise based on the way Maryland's offense had been producing all year long. And coming into the weekend, I mean, Illinois' team ERA was not pretty. They didn't have a single pitcher who gave them you know, legitimate appearances on the year. Who had there were only two pitchers with an ERA under three. Right, and most of their usual guys were over four. So, I mean, the freshman who threw for them on Saturday was over six. So it, w- it was surprising. It was over eight in conference play. Right. So, look, sometimes things happen, but it was a surprising weekend. The Terps just didn't get timely hits when they needed them. In terms of starting pitching, uh, I didn't think Brian Schaefer was overly sharp on Friday night, but, look, that can happen when your team gets an 8 nothing lead right out of the gate. You, know, you just want to throw strikes. You don't want to walk people. So sometimes you give up a fair number of hits. You gave up eight of them, four runs, two earns. Kind of reminded me of the Michigan State start on that Friday night when Maryland jumped all over Alex Troop right away and Schaefer didn't end up looking overly sharp but held the lead easily. Then on Saturday, I mean, Tyler Blome just had a lot of trouble finding the strike zone. He was kind of all over the place. He wasn't getting ahead in the count. And when you get behind 2-0, 3-1, you're forced to throw strikes. And Illinois was taking advantage of that. I, I, I didn't think the way Blome threw was overly dissimilar from the way he'd been his last few starts but in those previous couple of starts he'd been able to get out of jams and as you mentioned as was augmented by the catcher's interference that third inning just proved costly well what's interesting about Schaefer and I think the best thing that came out of that start on Friday for Schaefer is that he was still touching 94-95 in the eighth inning which was really, really impressive because that's the kind of velocity that we haven't necessarily seen from Schaefer consistently. Sometimes it'll dip, and he did have a dip off in the middle innings but was able to bring it back up, and that's a pretty encouraging sign for him from you know, basically a professional perspective. So that was kind of cool to see. And it was pretty cold, right? It was, it was, a, chilly, it was a chilly weekend, around 60 degrees with a breeze. So, yeah, I, I, I would say it's a little bit colder than the Terps have experienced in College Park as of late. With Bloom on Saturday... I agree. He's shown an ability to pitch out of jams over the last few weeks. So he kind of gets away with falling behind some guys or allowing runners on base. And essentially, it's almost as if this weekend, not that that kind of came back to bite him, but he wasn't able to get out of jams in the same way. And yes, the catcher's interference was a huge, huge part of that game. I can't really overstate that more because without that, you know, that's a potential two-run inning instead of a six-run inning. And it changes the entire complexion of the ball game. Blome doesn't throw, you know, 20-plus more pitches in that frame. You know, batters don't get to see him another time. You know, you go around, and I, I could go on about that for a while, but I think you get the picture. But it's clear that some of Blome's struggles that had started to show over the past few weeks did show up on Saturday, and that was the problem. With Taylor Bloom on Sunday, I honestly, I think it was just a matter, because he had that up-tempo stuff. He was showcasing the changeup the way that we had seen it the past few weeks. The curveball was working well. I think there were just a string of batters where good hitters like Jackie Alowitz, Pat McInerney were able to sit on a couple of pitches that were left a little bit too much over the strike zone. And Illinois strung some hits together in that frame that, that drove Bloom from the ball game. And Bloom is the kind of pitcher who pitches the contact. His stuff isn't going to blow by you. When he gets the weak contact on that changeup and the other off-speed stuff and he's able to use good late movement with that fastball, that's when he's effective. 
and credit to Illinois, they were able to square things up, got three straight singles, and then were able to you know bring those guys around. Right, and we've talked about it before, but with Bl- with Bloom, it's kind of the control versus command thing. You can have control, and that's throwing strikes, but command is throwing strikes in the right place in the zone or getting guys to chase pitches where you want them to, and it seemed like it was control, not command, on Sunday where there were some fat pitches that were strikes, so it doesn't look like he's walking people or throwing a lot of balls, but unfortunately for Maryland when you're throwing you know in the mid 80s and things like that uh, they're going to get hit by good hitters if they're up in the zone and over the middle of the plate now one of the other positives to come out of this weekend the Maryland bullpen really showed that they have an ability to kind of lock down ball games Ryan Hill is scoreless ninth in the Friday game the Saturday game the Terps bullpen was pretty impressive in particular John Murphy who tossed three and a third scoreless innings and I think you know, you take a look at this upcoming week, just to jump ahead a little bit. You got a midweek game against UMBC, then a midweek game against James Madison. So the Terps aren't going to be able to basically piece together both of those ball games with the bullpen on back-to-back days. They're going to need a start from somebody. And I think based on the way things shook out this weekend, I think John Murphy is the candidate to get that start. He's had 10 appearances now, one start. That start came against Richmond, did not go well. But Murphy, a 1.56 ERA, really quietly putting together a pretty nice season out of the bullpen. In 17 innings, he struck out 10, walked 4, posing batters hitting 231 against him. He looked pretty sharp on Saturday. I think he's maybe the best candidate to get a true start in the midweek. I agree with you. He gave good length and looked good on Saturday. And I have to agree. I think it's the quietest 1.56 ERA I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. Um, I don't think he's a bad option. Hill's given you a couple good midweek starts in a row now. But he's not the guy to give you more than two or three innings, or Maryland's coaching staff doesn't want that because they need him set up for the weekend. So I think Murphy's someone to turn to. The question is, do you turn to him against James Madison or UMBC? On paper, James Madison, a better team than UMBC, so you don't know how that factors into the decision. Maybe you think there's a better chance that he can give you length against UMBC, or maybe you hope for good things against James Madison. Well, I think there's two schools of thought here, and we're kind of dipping into what we normally get into in the later portion of this podcast. I think that's all right. I think the two schools of thought are, well, you can either bullpen the Tuesday game, and that way those guys are a little bit more fresh for the weekend, or you can throw Murphy or whoever else on that Tuesday game, and in case they struggle, you have the arms. Whereas on Wednesday, if you're starting a guy where midweek starters have not been consistent, you kind of turn to a bullpen that's, pretty depleted and you don't necessarily have the top arms that you want coming out of the bullpen. So I think you can really look at it both ways um, and it'll be kind of interesting to see what they decide to do. Right and I think the unfortunate thing for the Terps is that based on the events of the last two weeks they've kind of lost the luxury of saying oh well if things don't go well and we lose a midweek game it's not the biggest deal in the world. I mean, you don't want to be losing to James Madison or UMBC at this point in the season and based on the way they've been playing. Still, to that point, I think we've agreed already that Maryland is pretty safely in the tournament. I don't think losses against UMBC or JMU would change that too much. No, but if things really turn south, I I don't think it's a lock yet. Feed Crumbs is in the ballpark. Yeah, I know. That's that's pretty much a lock. Oh yeah. If if Crumbs is there. That's true. The rally, the I rally squirrel. Yeah, you forgot about Crumbs. It's it's the final homestand of the season for the Terps. 
and we'll see what happens. We'll talk a little bit more about those two matchups later on in the podcast. But now we'll turn to our conversation with Maryland second baseman Nick Dunn, a guy who led the Terps in batting average last year. We talked a little bit earlier in the podcast how his numbers, even though they're not exactly the same as they were last year, are, well, pretty much identical. In fact, in some cases, slightly better. And while we start off talking to Nick about how those numbers have turned out this year and how he's felt at the plate. You know, even though, you know, uh, stats and all don't really, you know, compare as much to the first season, I, I still feel pretty good this year. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm playing, uh, I'm playing well. Uh, you know, I'm hitting the ball just as good, if not better. Uh, you know, one of the things this year uh, compared to last year that I've had to deal with a little is kind of not getting the results that you maybe would hope for, but you know, still doing everything you can to play your best uh that's one of the biggest things that uh has gone on this year well there's a lot of talk i guess at the major league level now about all these advanced analytics and you know batting average on balls put in play would you say that you know you hit the ball hard a lot but you know sometimes it just ends up going right at somebody <laughs> uh yeah i'd say so that's a uh, that's been one of the bigger things this year you know i feel like i've i haven't been hitting the you know i've been hitting the ball well uh you know it's just been uh right at people a lot of the time uh you know, I feel like I've been hitting the ball almost a little better than I did last year. You know, last year when I was uh, struggling, it was a lot of a lot of weak outs uh, and strikeouts and things. As you know, where this year I feel like a lot of my outs are you know harder hit balls. Now, one of the biggest I guess talking points with you has always been the strikeouts, and I mean that in a good way, not a bad way, in the sense that you don't strike out a lot at all. Of course, we can always go back to the whole senior year of high school thing. You didn't strike out a single time. I mean, let's start with that. I mean, when you're going through your senior year of high school and you start to realize that, oh, hey, I haven't struck out in a single at-bat this year, at what point does that, you know, kind of start to take shape in your mind and you realize that, you know, you have a chance to do something kind of cool? Uh, honestly, you know, senior year, I, I didn't really think about it a lot. And uh, I honestly didn't realize it until, like, the last, like, week of the season uh, somebody – actually told me and I was like oh wow I mean I didn't even realize it because I mean you go into every game you know not really thinking about not striking out just you know having good at bats and stuff like that. Now this year more walks than strikeouts last year an even number of walks to strikeouts you don't see that a lot at really any level of baseball and this summer in the Cape League you did pretty much the same thing and you were one of the toughest guys to strike out in the league. I saw some standings in terms of numbers and I think you were the eighth hardest guy to strike out in the entire league which is pretty cool. So when you go to the plate, I guess what is it about your approach that gives you an ability to not strike out? Um, yeah, I've always thought patient but aggressive. So, you know, I mean, early in the count, maybe taking some pitches that, you know, are, are borderline strikes and maybe even strikes, you know, just aren't really good pitches to hit, um, which is something, you know, I kind of got away from a little bit this year, but I'm starting to get back to. Uh, but it's just making sure you're relaxed and patient up at the plate and, and knowing the strike zone is one of the biggest things for me. Uh, that's been uh, always been kind of one of the things I've taken pride in is knowing the strike zone. Well, it's kind of funny. You know, you'll talk to some of your teammates and hitting coach Rob Vaughn and they'll joke that your favorite count is actually 0-2 or 1-2. <laughs> I mean, is that is, is there truth to that? Uh, you know, I'm, I mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't mind hitting with two strikes or, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they kind of dread getting into – those two strike counts sometimes but you know I, I take pride in uh, having good at bats and, and when they when I get to two strikes you know still being able to put the ball and play hard and, and you know make something of the at bat. 
We've talked in the past about your relationship with Brandon Lowe, another former Maryland second baseman, and the two of you, and really how similar the two of you are. You're both around the same height, around the same weight, at least that's what's listed. That's what's listed. You're both offensive guys playing second base, and you're both kind of similar from a personality standpoint. You know, the old, you, know you guys are both pretty quiet <laughs> overall. You know, it's, it's kind of funny how similar the two of you are. When you were getting recruited, I was told a story that – uh, Brandon Lau was showed video of you hitting in high school and thought it was himself. <laughs> so when you got in touch with Brandon for the first time, what was that conversation like? I mean, how many words were said, first of all? Uh, you know, uh, n- not much was said. Uh, <laughs> most of what was said was said by him, to be honest. Uh, but he did, he, he actually told me that story that uh, they showed him a uh, video of me hitting and he thought it was himself at first. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool to, you know, to be co- uh, compared to someone, you know, uh, of that, you know, stature, especially like of the hitting side, is uh, pretty cool. Hey, he's been raking with the Charlotte Stone Crabs and the Tampa Bay Rays organization. What other things did you learn from Brandon? You guys obviously weren't here at the same time, but he's come back for practices every now and again. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's just a uh, it's cool to you know get to work out with them and uh, you know have him come out and hit with us in the fall and everything and just see how he goes about his business. You know what, see, uh, you know what. He's if he's changed anything really uh, since he's been here, and you know what new stuff he's learned. Now I want to go back, kind of to that that recruiting thing that we were talking about when, you know, Rob Vaughn showed that video to Brandon Lau. What was your recruiting like coming out of Sunbury, Pennsylvania? I guess first of all, what's what's Sunbury like? Where is it in Pennsylvania? <laughs> uh, it's kind of like Central PA, uh, not a real big town. <laughs> um, so as far as recruiting, uh, you you kind of have to go out and you know kind of get discovered yourself almost a little bit, you know, try and get teams to see you. Uh, but that was one of the cool things I got seen uh, by Coach Vaughn at a, a, a summer ball showcase thing. Mm. And then uh, he saw me once. Uh, I talked to him on the phone a couple times. And then uh, uh, going into my senior year, uh, the summer before my senior year, I saw him at almost every summer game I played in. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool to, to see him there and to – you know, realize, you know, the level of commitment that uh, he had. Now, one of the things I think is kind of interesting about the whole recruiting process is when you're putting a recruiting class together, I've often wondered how in touch you guys get with one another. So, like, you and Marty and the rest of the guys that are sophomores that came in in that class together, how in touch were you guys the summer before you arrived or during that commitment and, like, signing process? Um, on, honestly, I hadn't had a chance to to talk to a lot of them before I uh, before I came here. I, you know, I talked to Marty a little bit because uh, we both played in the Ripken League mm-hmm. uh, the summer before we got here. Um, AJ was on my team on the Thunderbolts uh, the summer before I got here, so I I got to to know him a little bit. But I mean, other than that, you know, uh, like you said, Sunbury, it's not. I mean, it's not a real big place, and uh, you know, a lot of the guys were from Maryland in our class, so uh, I hadn't had a chance to get to really know them a lot until I actually got here. And give a little shout-out to Matt Present, the former Silver Spring Tacoma T-Bolts broadcaster, <laughs> as well as Maryland Baseball Network broadcaster. But, you know, I guess what is what's what do you do in Sunbury when you have some time? What what What's the thing to do? Um, There's not a whole lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be totally honest, you know, uh, just hang out with friends a lot, friends and family. Uh, we do play a lot of, uh, a lot of video games. Uh, you know, but besides that, you know, it's mainly just uh, playing baseball or football or whatever sport is in season at the time. Well, I know you played football in high school also. You're a wide receiver. So what is that experience like, I guess, at the high school level in Pennsylvania? But, I mean, did you have a chance to play football the next level too? 
Uh, honestly, I mean, I, I, I never really, you know, thought about that. I've, I was never really recruited for it or pushed to be recruited for it because, you know, everybody, everybody, uh, at my school, you know, kind of always assumed baseball was just, you know, that's what I was going to do. So, I mean, it, it was never really, it was never really thought about, to be honest. I guess how far are you from like, – I mean, are you a Phillies fan? Are you a Pirates fan? <laughs> if you're in central Pennsylvania, I'm just trying to get a sense of, like, the geography there. Uh, I, I was originally a Phillies fan. Uh, you know, I kind of, you know, being down here and more now, you know, I kind of follow the Orioles a little bit more now just because it's closer and their games are always on TV. You know, I know more of the – I know more Orioles players now than Phillies. Uh, but originally I was a Phillies fan. So you kind of grew up in, like, the Chase Utley era of Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, yep. is he a guy that you kind of look up to? Uh, yeah, for sure. Definitely, uh, you know, definitely as far as hitting goes, uh, you know, uh, I would watch him a lot on TV, you know, watch videos of him, uh, slow motion videos, just look and see, you know, how he went about the game and, you know, things he did with his swing. And, uh, you know, I mean, because he goes out there and competes at a, a high level every day, and he's been doing it for a while, so he's he's a good guy to watch. I gotta come clean here as a as a young Mets fan growing up, you know that 2006 2007 <laughs> era. First of all, I was not a Phillies fan because I was a Mets fan, and my least favorite player on that team was Chase Utley because he <laughs> was just so good. Um, so I mean, his name always, you know, goes back to my youth a little bit. But for you, you know, obviously Chase Utley's not really playing at the same level that he was anymore. If he's playing at all, yeah. Who are some guys you look up to now? Uh, now, uh, I, I kind of like to watch. Uh, I like to watch Machado and the Orioles. Um, I like Scope. I like to watch and see how he plays. Uh, as far as defense goes, uh, I like to. Uh, I'm a fan of Brandon Phillips. Mm, you know, he okay. plays second base. Uh, now that I play second base, I played shortstop in high school. Uh, but now that I play second base, I like to watch. You know, second basemen and how they go about things, and. Uh, I like to watch Pedroia too. You know, he's kind of a close to the same size as I am, and uh, you know, he's been he's been playing well in the big leagues for a while now. So it's it's cool to to watch him and see how he does things. What was that transition like from shortstop to second base? They're pretty similar positions, but you're on the other side of the diamond. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't too different. You know, it was just a little different footwork. You know, f as far as double plays around the bag, um, it's a little shorter throw. Don't mind that. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it was it wasn't too much of a uh, too bad of a transition. Now during like batting practice and, and in and out sometimes, I see Kevin Smith and Patty Heisel on the other side, you know, doing these flashy double play <laughs> turns and diving all over the place. But I don't see you doing a ton of that. Is that because you don't want to, or because you never gave it a shot? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I've never really been that uh that type of you know player to really like you know, kind of mess around that, uh, with that kind of thing in batting practice. Um, you know, it's, it's just never really been to me, like come to me like that. I've never really thought to do anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, it looks like they're having fun, but I'm having fun as well, you know, even though I'm not doing that <laughs> stuff. So, <laughs> What other – so when we're not on the baseball field and you're sitting in your dorm room or, you know, we're in the off season, what kinds of things um, are Nick is Nick Dunn doing in his spare time, is it is it video games with roommates? You guys going out to Chipotle every other day of the week? Because I know summer's over there a ton. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we uh, we go to Chipotle a lot. Uh, it's one of our big places to eat. Um, video games. Uh, I'd be lying if we said we didn't play a lot of video games. That's uh, kind of our main thing to do. Video games. Watch a lot of movies. Uh, 
or just watch baseball too. You know, we watch a lot of baseball uh, even when we're not playing. A couple things to unpack there. First, you know, what kind of video games are we talking? Are we looking at like 2K because Marty destroyed me last year when we were in Omaha <laughs> and I'm still looking for my rematch? Or are we talking things like Call of Duty or Mario Kart, which I know you guys are really getting <laughs> into now? Uh, yeah, we uh, we play a lot of uh, uh, we play the show a lot, the MLB game. Uh, that's probably our number one game. Uh, we're starting to get into uh, the NHL games a lot now. Um, we haven't been playing 2K as much lately. I, I'm not really sure why, but uh, I uh, yeah, I tried uh, Mario Kart the other day, and uh, uh, I don't think it's really my game. <laughs> I wasn't too good at that one. Well, but, I know, uh, I know the guys. You know, they bring it on the road with them sometimes, and. You know, Racino, Price, Brandon Gum, I hear, is, is one of the best players on the team. Yeah. Uh, I know I know. Patty Heisel's been doing well there. For you guys in your room, it's it's you, Marty, Hunter, and, and who's your other roommate? Cam. Cam. So the four of you, among the four of you guys, who's the best MLB The Show player? Uh, I, I'd have to say myself. Hunter would probably oh, argue otherwise. All right, all right. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we have we have a lot of heated games, uh, but, you know, it's all in good fun. Do you go with the Orioles when you play? Uh, we Sometimes. We usually do, like, random teams. So, you know, it's not really – so it's never really that unfair. We'll just, like, randomize teams. Now, when you play other games, you know, who comes out on top usually? Um, well, Hunter doesn't really play uh, NHL too much. Uh, that's usually AJ or co- will come over or uh, – Nick Sierra, he'll come over and play some NHL. Um, me and AJ go back and forth, uh, but uh, I have yet to beat Sierra, so that's kind of my uh, that's my goal uh, to beat him in the uh, <laughs> NHL. Now, at least from my perspective, it looks like you know as far as teammates go, you and AJ have become pretty close over the course of this year. You guys are always sitting together on the bus. You guys room together on the road. How's that relationship grown? Uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool uh, to be able to room together uh, every trip. You know. Uh, we were roommates all of freshman year, uh, and they put us together again this year. And, uh, you know, we have fun on the road, a lot of video games, uh, you know, just messing around, having fun. So uh, it's been cool to, to get to build that relationship and, and, and have that for the rest of the time we're here. Now, you mentioned movies also, and we talked to Brian Schaefer a couple of weeks ago about the Thursday night horror movie nights <laughs> that, that he hosts up in Landmark. And I believe that I have a standing invitation for this week. I'm not a big horror movie fan. I may or may not go. We'll see. But what kind of movies do you guys partake in? Uh, I don't know. We, we mix it up a lot. Uh, we were big uh, scary movie guys, big horror guys. But uh, we've kind of seen most of the good ones. So uh, we're kind of running out of movies to watch, I think. But, uh, you know, we'll switch it up. Some nights will be sports movies or comedies. We like to watch comedies a lot, too. But, uh, yeah, we're... Uh, we need some new movies to come out because we're running out. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a scary movie guy. So I guess if you're listening, you got any suggestions for Nick Dunn and his roommates on movie titles, you can send them our way and we'll pass them along. Uh, sports movies wise, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know come right at you here. Give me your top five sports movies. Oh man, I'm putting you on the spot. I realize that. Uh, <laughs> we can we can go any sport. You know, I'm thinking off the top of my head, movies like The Sandlot and Miracle. Um, I mean, you tell me. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, Miracle is definitely up there in my top five. Uh, I'm a big fan of the the true story sports movies. Uh, I like Miracle. Um, you know, the producer of Miracle is a Maryland baseball alum. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. No. I feel like he's actually going to be the graduation commencement speaker this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pitched, um, uh, he pitched for the Brewers for a couple of years and wow. then had a career-ending injury and got into movie production. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Friday Night Lights, I like that movie. Uh, TV show or movie? 
movie. I like the movie. The the TV show was good, but uh, I, I'm a bigger fan of the movie. Um, you know, just kind of growing up playing football and, and playing uh, high school football, it's cool to, to see a movie like that come out. Um, I know, I know AJ got his nickname from Friday Night Lights, kind of, sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah, Someone told yeah. me this the <laughs> other day that he wanted to be Smash Williams, and then Jankarski <laughs> just kind of gave him the nickname Squish and yeah. it stuck. Yeah, <laughs> I wish there was a better story there, but there's not. Yeah. Uh, man, sports movies. Um, I'm actually a big fan of the Rocky movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, we could have a long chat about the Rocky <laughs> movies, which of the six, I guess there's seven technically if you count Creed. Yeah. Uh, no. But of, the, I guess, the original six. Give me, give me the first overall pick. Um, can't beat the original one, the very first one. I, I'm a big fan of that one. But uh, if not that one, I'd say the fourth one. I think that's – I mean, I go fourth immediately. Yeah. It it happens to be the first one that I saw. I'll, I'll be honest there. I watched it in a social studies class when I was in <laughs> high school because of all the Cold War stuff. Yeah. It's just an awesome movie. Great soundtrack, too. Yeah. Best montage, I think, in a sports movie. Yeah, for comes sure. Comes from Rocky IV. Yeah. So we talked about AJ. He's got his nickname Squish. Sierra's got Cheese. You got any nicknames? Guys, uh, call you anything? No, not really. Honestly, <laughs> uh, it's either just Don or Dunny or something like that. Wow, you know, that's really original. Many, yeah, not too <laughs> many, not too many creative nicknames for me. What about Vaughn? Because he's got probably. I don't really know what to call it. I don't want to call it a vocabulary, but the kind of things that he will just throw out there during batting practice and the phrases that he uses. I don't know how he comes up with them. <laughs> but they always seem to make. I mean, they make me smile. They make me laugh. Seems to get you guys too. I mean, what do you what do you think of that? Uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Uh, just to see what he throws out there sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I think he's actually he calls me uh Dunn's Cap sometimes. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> he called me that a little bit freshman year. It kind of stuck around. Uh, it's kind of faded away a little bit this year. But uh, every now and then I'll hear him uh, throw that one around. Maybe only when you strike out. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> So what else does Nick Dunn do in his spare time? We went through movies, went through video games. Obviously, Chipotle is going to be the go-to place for you guys, quite frankly, for me too. But what what a, what types of food do you gravitate towards? Um, you on the road? Do you do you look for the Chipotle or the chain store, or do you try and find something a little off the beaten path? Uh, we'll usually look for common places uh, when we're on the road, uh, and then if we don't really find any that are. You know, within walking distance, we usually just uh, go with whatever's close, uh, even if we never heard of it. But, uh, yeah, we'll look for Chipotle's or, and stuff like that. I know uh, when we were in uh, Nebraska, there was one, like, it was like a 30-second walk from the hotel. I remember that. So it was that was that was big for all of us. I think, I'm not sure if it was a Chipotle or if it was a Qdoba. Uh, pretty much the same might thing. Have been, might have been a Qdoba, actually. It was pr- it's pretty it's much pretty the same, much same thing. It's pretty much the same thing, yeah. yeah. So... You know, you get to go to some pretty cool places, you know, traveling around the baseball team, which is something that I've really enjoyed. You know, we've gone to Baton Rouge, Wilmington, Cary. We've gone pretty much everywhere in North Carolina. And yet we've gotten to some other places, too. What's been your favorite over the last couple of years? Um, I was a big fan of going to California. I had never been out that way. That was a cool trip. Uh, freshman year. You know, that was that was a very cool trip. Uh, getting to see uh, Cal State Fullerton, uh, kind of the, the – you know how the history and everything in that stadium that was pretty cool and then uh this year probably lsu uh you know the the weekend didn't really go uh how we hoped it w- uh, would go but uh that atmosphere being able to play in front of that atmosphere it was it was a really cool experience well this is maybe the really interesting thing to me about traveling and you know correct me if i'm wrong here but last year the season opener we flew down to birmingham alabama drove to tuscaloosa for the series against the crimson tide 
and that was your first time on a plane. Yeah. Was it not? <laughs> yep, first time. I mean, what's going through your mind there? Uh, yeah, I, I not much. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, a little nervous. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous, but uh, it was cool uh, to definitely experience something new like that. But by now, you just kind of like used to it by now. Had you ever been in an airport, or was that just your first time on a plane? Uh, I had never been in an airport either up wow. to that point. I mean, yeah. that's it's not really like a an uncommon thing to have not flown or been to an airport. I I guess you know as someone who has flown to College Park from New York and flown down to Florida to visit grandparents and whatnot, you just kind of think somewhere along the way that you're going to be on an airplane in some capacity. So I think it was you and Zach Guff yeah. who had never been on a plane yep. before, and you two were sitting right next to each other. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we made sure uh, we we made sure to uh, sit next to each other on that one since uh, it was both our first plane ride. Uh, just to uh, just to be able to experience that was uh, pretty cool. And now you guys are your seasoned pros on yeah. the aircraft. Yep. <laughs> I mean, so I sat next to I sat next to Jared Price on the flight over to <laughs> Illinois. He might be one of the worst flyers. We were we were landing. He nearly broke my hand. <laughs> yeah, uh, flying out towards uh, Chicago is uh, there. There are some interesting flights. I know uh, freshman year they were a little bumpy too, and uh, it, they got a little bumpy this year too, which is a. Uh, it's a little. It makes it makes you a little nervous, even if you've been on a plane before. Um, but you know, you you get used to it after a little bit. At one place you didn't have to fly to this past summer, you were up in the Cape Cod League with the Brewster Whitecaps, um, which was pretty cool. Uh, I got to imagine because you're playing baseball every day in one of the most prestigious summer leagues in the country. And I guess what was that experience like? Uh, it was really cool. Um, definitely, uh, it's definitely all it's uh, talked up to be. Um, being able to meet players uh, from all over, all around the country and, and see the best players in college baseball and get to play with them uh, every day. It's it's really something special. I mean, it was pretty cool to see you up there. Of course, it would have been a little bit better if you didn't have that walk-off single <laughs> against the Chathamays kind of late in the summer. But, I mean, it's always fun. It was fun to have you on our on our Chathamays post-game show afterwards. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was actually, uh, <coughs> that was actually my first ever uh, walk-off hit. So uh, that, that was pretty cool to experience that. Do you keep in touch with a lot of the guys you played with this summer? Uh, yeah, we keep in touch. We have uh, little group chats and group messages and stuff like that. You know, just kind of uh, throw out comments throughout the year just to stay in touch. You know, and now this coming summer, Marty Costas is supposed to come up to Brewster with you. Yep. What is that experience going to be like with Marty? Uh, that'll be cool, especially you know since I've already been up there, uh, being able to uh, you know just kind of show him around. Uh, you know, show him you know where the best places to go are, you know, what what to do on, on off days. And, and, you know, from a baseball side, too, just to, you know, you know help them through the, through the summer and, you know, show them, you know, what it's like up there. So educate me. What are the best places to go in Brewster? Now, I don't know if you knew this. Despite the fact that I was working for the A's in Chatham, I lived in Brewster for most of the summer. Really? So I was actually closer to Stony Brook Elementary School, where the Whitecaps okay, play, yeah. than I was to Veterans Field. I was about five minutes away. Wow. Um, so what kind of stuff did you do in Brewster? Uh, you know, there's a couple good places to eat. Um, there's a breakfast place. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it, uh, I would go there a lot uh, before games. Um Besides that, I mean, besides baseball, there's not a whole lot to do uh, in Brewster, at least. You have to kind of go to the town over, Orleans. Uh, there's some stuff to do over there. That's where uh, the beach is that we would go to on off days. Um, but, yeah, on most off days, that's what we would do. We would go to the beach for a little. Um, there's some mini golf over there, too. I was just going to say, it seems it seems like Cape Cod 
is unheralded as maybe the mini golf capital of the world. <laughs> you go to Yarmouth, and there's just like there's one street there in Yarmouth that I swear has five mini golf places within <laughs> like a mile stretch. And I wouldn't be lying if I said uh, that my friends and I we took an off day and we played it pretty much every single one of them <laughs> at one point or another. I, I got pretty good at mini golf. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I like mini golf. That's a, uh, it's really fun. Uh, it's one of my uh, more one of the more fun things to do. Uh, we do it almost uh, almost every off day since the it was right there in Orleans by the beach we were at. So uh, we'd go there. Uh, there wasn't too many uh, fast food places up there. There was one in Orleans, and it was a Wendy's. So we'd go there almost every oh, off day, Oh, I know that too. Wendy's. That <laughs> Wendy's stayed open kind of late. So after the games in Orleans, you'd be able to go there and get some food before you head yep. back to, to where you are. So you go up to the Cape League, and you hit 300. You get named a Cape Cod Baseball League All-Star. Um, that All-Star game was at Veterans Field. It was a pretty cool experience for the both of us. Um, for you, what was it like for you on the field? Uh, it was pretty cool, uh, you know, to draw a big crowd like that for a summer game, uh, you know, and get to see all the all the best players up there, uh, get to play beside them. Uh, I got to pl uh, play at the same time as uh, Kevin Smith. That was pretty cool to, <laughs> to be alongside him in the All-Star game. <laughs> After playing against him a couple times over the summer, to, to be able to play with him one time was uh, pretty cool. Did you ever get a chance to hit against Ryan Selmer? I did, yep. I faced him once uh, at their place. Uh, that was pretty cool to to be able to face him. Uh, that that was cool. Now cool you guys experience. you guys face face each other in like the inter squad games, but this was like a real. I mean, it's a summer game, but it's a real game. So yeah. I mean, do you remember what happened? Uh, I hit a I hit a double to left center. <laughs> off <of him>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you don't let him forget that. No, no, no. He he actually he brings it up more than I do. I think you know I don't I don't bring it up too much. Uh, usually he's the one to bring it up, but you know I don't I don't shy away from uh, reminding him sometimes. So after the summer, I guess I guess what I was kind of getting at is how much confidence did being successful up in the Cape give you coming into this season? Uh, you know, it, it it gives you a little bit, but you know, you still have to go about things the same way. Um, you know, I didn't really do much different than uh, my freshman year. Maybe uh, maybe I was a little more relaxed just because I had been through it before. You know, I kind of knew what to expect a little bit, but uh, I didn't do a whole lot different. We talked a little bit in Towson. And, and we'll kind of wrap up with this. We talked a little bit in Towson on our pregame interview about Mountain Dew. <laughs> and I, I, I know you're, you're laughing already because it, there's some kind of connection between you and Mountain Dew. I don't know what it is, but, you know, the, the little videos that you guys made before the season, you're sipping on a Mountain Dew. Yep. Uh, all the guys joke about giving Nick Dunn some Mountain Dew. You know, where, <laughs> where, does, that, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of, I've always drank it growing up. And, uh, when I got here, I would have it all the time, you know, freshman year. And I, I guess guys just started to realize that that's what I was drinking a majority of the time. And, uh, so it's just kind of, kind of a joke now that they, uh, that they throw around now just from seeing me have it all the time. How much do you play into it though? Uh, like, will you go out of your way to get a Mountain Dew, even if you're not really in the mood for it? Uh, not really. I mean, because th there's not many times where I'm not in the mood for it. So, <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah. I, I guess I don't really have to. Now, I guess uh, for the uninformed listener, and I guess I'll include myself here, and this may shock you, I've never had Mountain Dew. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. I know. Wow. I didn't really drink. <laughs> I didn't drink much soda growing up. I don't really drink a lot of soda now. In fact, I mean, out of fear of sounding lame, I'm going to sound lame anyway. You know, when I'm on an airplane, I don't get like a a Pepsi or a Coke or a Sprite or anything, I get seltzer because <laughs> I think, I, I don't know, I just enjoy it. But, you know, that aside and my lameness aside, what does Mountain Dew taste like? 
Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how to really describe it. It's a just the greatest a, thing in yeah, the world. It's a unique taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so I mean, Gatorade. Would you drink Gatorade in the ball game or Mountain Dew? Uh, during a game, I'd probably drink Gatorade. Uh, just to, you know, just because. That was a bit of a dumb question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I I love Mountain Dew, but I don't think I'd drink it during a game. Maybe, like, right before. Um, but during the game, I'll stick to, like, water or Gatorade or something. Well, you know, one walk-off hit up in uh, up in the Cape League, Brewster against Chatham. You didn't get any Gatorade or water dumped on you, but next walk-off hit here. You know, we'll see if we can get a bottle of Mountain Dew to, to, to <laughs> spray and have some fun with that. Uh, sounds good. <laughs> All right, Nick, thanks so much for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Looking forward to seeing you play the rest of the way. Thank you. Thanks to Nick Dodd for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And now let's dive into the upcoming weekend, the final Big Ten series of the year for the Terps. They host the Northwestern Wildcats. 19 and 27 on the year, 8 and 10 in the Big Ten, but right on the outskirts of making it to the Big Ten tournament in that eighth spot. The pitching staff is interesting for Northwestern, Jake. The Friday night guy, Cooper Weatherby, has only been a starter now six times. He's made 16 appearances, but he's been solid. 2-2 two and two with a 2-9-1 ERA on the year and 46 and a third innings. Pretty good control. Opponents only hit 265 against him, and he threw a very good game against Purdue on Friday night. And then on Saturday, Hank Christie threw an even better game in a game that Northwestern ended up losing in extra innings, but he went out, he went eight innings without allowing an earned run. Well, it's interesting. You take a look at Northwestern's pitching staff, and it's somewhat similar to Illinois' where they don't have many guys that have well, good-looking ERAs. Weatherby is the only guy with an ERA under three. And like you said, he's only made six starts in the season. So there are some similarities between this Northwestern team and the Illinois team that Maryland just saw in the sense that their pitching staff is somewhat fluid and they've kind of been struggling and they're starting to figure out things now. Northwestern with that series win over Purdue. That comes after getting swept earlier this season by Indiana. They lost a series at Illinois. They beat Penn State pretty much as... Any, everybody has beat Penn State, but Northwestern team, <laughs> you well, and it's I true, beat Penn it's State. true, <laughs> it's true, Maryland swept Penn State, they're 2-16 and 16 in the Big Ten, they haven't had a very successful season overall. But going back to Northwestern, a team that is figuring things out on the pitching side, but still the numbers pretty lofty and struggling, and the Terps' offense should look to pounce on that. It kind of also reminds me of Jonathan Stever, the Friday night guy for Indiana, whose numbers coming into the Maryland game were over four and a half with his ERA, but he's now had three consecutive starts where he looked really good. Beat Oliver Jasky in Michigan on a Friday night. Looked great before the rain delay against the Terps on Friday. And then last Friday shut down Xavier. So that's what Northwestern's hoping to get out of, out of Weatherby again. Another good start. Offensively, the team only hits 249. Northwestern only has one player who hits over 300, but he's quite the threat. That's Joe Hoshite, and Hoshite was the Big Ten Player of the Week for back-to-back -back weeks at the tail end of April. Hits 333, has started pretty much every game for the Wildcats. Leads the team in home runs with five. This is a team that does not leave the yard very much at all. Just 19 home runs on the entire season for Northwestern, and well, Hoshite has five. That leads the team. Leo Kaplan has four. That's second most on the team. This is just not a team that has a ton of pop overall. And, well, it's windy in Evanston, and that could play into it. But 
19 home runs in 40-some-odd games. You don't have a lot of power on your team there. But Hoshite, 13 doubles. Max Hoffner, 15 doubles. Alex Arrow, 10 doubles. This team doesn't lack for extra base hits, just not home runs. Right, and when you don't hit home runs, that means that the Wildcats need to piece together innings, and they'll look to do that against the Maryland rotation on the weekend of Schaefer, Blome, and Bloom. We talked a little bit earlier about the specific starts at Illinois, but do you think or do you have any long-term concerns about any of the three guys? I would guess the answer is an obvious no with Schaefer. He didn't look overly sharp, but Blome didn't look great and Bloom the same. Well, I think for both those guys, Blome and Bloom, it's easy to forget that Tyler Blome is still a freshman. Right. And he's still in his first season of collegiate pitching. And as the season goes on, you know, the grind of a college baseball season may have a little bit of an effect on him. I don't know. When it comes to Taylor Bloom, we've seen him go up and down this season. I don't have any overall concerns about either of the two of them. I think they both just kind of ran into some tough starts this weekend. The big concern that I have for Maryland going forward is once you get to the Big Ten tournament, once you get to the NCAA tournament, you need more than three starters, really. You need a fourth guy, and in, in, in some cases, you need a fifth guy, and Maryland hasn't been able to find that, which is why we've started to see them piece together midweek games with kind of a bullpen, with Ryan Hill going a couple innings, then you see Jamal Wade for a couple innings, you see Ryan Selmer at the back end for a couple innings, and other guys kind of piece things together in the middle, which is why, kind of as we talked about earlier, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens against UMBC on Tuesday and against JMU on Wednesday, how Maryland approaches those from a pitching perspective, whether or not Ryan Hill goes for three innings, goes for two innings, who comes in afterwards, who gets the start in one of the other games, because like we said before, you can't bullpen both of them. It's just not possible. Right, and surprisingly, I don't believe there's any rain in the forecast for a Maryland-James <laughs> Madison game. I mean, that's shocking at this point. Um, last week, we talked about Illinois as a team fighting for their lives and what role motivation could play in a series. And you touched on it earlier, but if Illinois was playing for their lives, Northwestern's going to be doing so even more this weekend. 8-10 and ten in conference play, tied for the eighth spot with Michigan State, but behind them, based on the tiebreaker, and with Michigan State's difficult schedule down the stretch, the Wildcats have a very real shot at earning a spot in Bloomington in a few weeks. Quite frankly, even if Northwestern gets swept by Maryland this weekend, and as we've said before, Maryland should sweep, the Wildcats still have a chance of getting into Bloomington and sneaking into that ace lead because Michigan State could very well go 0-6 down the stretch, going to Lincoln, a very tough place to play, and then that home away at home against Michigan. Meanwhile, Northwestern hosts Rutgers to round out the Big Ten regular season. Rutgers currently 12th in the conference at 5-10 and 10 in conference play. So that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch, especially if Northwestern can sneak a win this weekend. And I hesitate a little bit to say sneak a win because anything is possible in the game of baseball. You go into games and you think some things are going to happen, and, well, those things don't happen. And while Maryland should look to sweep this weekend, you know, they may not. They may take two out of three. They may take one out of three. Northwestern could steal a series. We saw this happen last year where the Terps lost a couple of Big Ten series down the stretch, a home series against Illinois, a home series against Rutgers. This happened two years ago, too. The Terps got swept by Indiana heading into kind of the end of the season and then, you know, stumbled against Northwestern when those two teams faced off two years ago. So the Terps have stumbled to the finish in back-to-back -back years. They've gotten into the Big Ten tournament and performed well in the Big Ten tournament. Ultimately, last year's performance not enough to get the Terps into the NCAA tournament. 
But this year, the Terps going in a little bit stronger because they had a much better middle of the season. And, well, the Terps should look to kind of round out their Big Ten regular season with a pretty strong performance against Northwestern this weekend. They had the potential to finish 17-7 and in conference play. And as we mentioned on the broadcast this weekend, 15 conference wins would be the most all-time in terms of Big Ten conference wins. It would also tie Maryland record for conference wins overall, ACC or Big Ten, in the regular season. And kind of ironic or funny, I guess, that Michigan State-Nebraska series is directly the series that both teams in the Maryland-Northwestern series are looking at. I mean, the Terps are going to be the biggest Spartan fans in the world and Northwestern the biggest Nebraska fans in the world. For the Wildcats, they're hoping Nebraska can beat Michigan State, so even if the weekend doesn't go well for Northwestern, things maintain status quo in the standings. And for Maryland, looking to get back on top of the Big Ten standings, they're hoping the Spartans can go into Lincoln and pull off some wins. So just kind of a funny note there. Yeah, we thought the Big Ten standings would take a little bit more shape after this past weekend, but in fact, the top seven teams separated by just two and a half games, so really no clear picture whatsoever. That is an interesting note that these two teams are going to be, well, going head-to-head -head against one another, but also watching a very important head-to-head -head matchup out in Lincoln. So that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Thanks for joining us for our 36th episode. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at MDBaseballNet or give us a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. You can find us in the iTunes store. Just search Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store in that search bar. Also, feel free to leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you want for this podcast, if there are things that we don't touch on that you'd like us to talk about, things that we do that you don't like, although you know we kind of hope that there's not too many of those. But, but let us know what you think about the work that we've been doing on the podcast so far this season. Finally, a special thanks to Maryland second baseman Nick Dunn for stopping by on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. So for Justin Galanti, I'm Jake Eisenberg. We'll see you when the Terps take on UMBC at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. Maryland hosting James Madison at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. And then the Terps host Northwestern this weekend. A 6.30 start on Friday, a 2 o'clock start on Saturday, and a 1 o'clock start on Sunday for Senior Day in College Park. As always, the Maryland Baseball Network gets underway with coverage 30 minutes before first pitch. So long. So long.